potential and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show. Today bringing you another fascinating guest who is involved in creating a better tomorrow uh, on many different fronts. Uh, today we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Adam Wolfberg, who is Chief Medical Officer at Current Health, uh, which is a Best Buy health company, part of the American multinational consumer electronics retailer, and their organization is focused on enabling the delivery of healthcare services in the home, uh, ultimately to allow healthcare organizations to deliver high-quality, patient-centric care, all at a lower cost. Uh, the company has some fascinating technologies where they integrate uh, not just patient-reported data, but data from biosensors, including uh, novel wearable devices, ultimately to provide healthcare organizations with actionable, real-time insights into their patients' conditions. Uh, current health platform brings together a variety of telehealth capabilities, patient engagement tools, in-home connectivity, uh, ultimately all focused on managing care in the home. Uh, Dr. Wolfberg also leads their implementation and account management of the organization. Uh, previously, uh, Dr. Wolfberg worked in medical affairs at uh, Ovia Health, which is a leading maternity and family benefit solution for employers and health plans. Uh, Athena Health, a uh, network-enabled mobile app and data-driven insight uh, company. Uh, with uh, customers like hospitals, medical organizations, as well as Erosa Diagnostics. Uh, Dr. Wolfberg trained uh, initially as an OB-GYN uh, in, in maternal fetal medicine at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, also has his uh, uh, master's in public health from Johns Hopkins. Uh, and before going to medical school, uh, Dr. Wolfberg was actually a print journalist. He still blogs at uh, adamwolfberg.com, has written for numerous magazines and websites, including the Boston Globe, Slate, Huffington Post, Wall Street Journal. Uh, and he's a accomplished author. Uh, his uh, first book, Fragile Beginnings, Discoveries and Triumphs in the uh, Newborn ICU, was published in 2012 by Beacon Press. A lot of interesting topics to discuss, uh, but Dr. Adam Wolfberg, thank you for taking the time to come on our show today. Thanks so much. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I, I, I love to start off, you know, as I mentioned, you before you were an MD, you were a journalist. Uh, you started out as a history student at Georgetown. Talk a little bit about those early days and what ultimately got you uh, interested in, in health and medicine. Well, I went to take a job as an education reporter at the Mobile Register in Mobile, Alabama. And I uh, was really excited about that job. Um, first time outside of uh, the Northeast. And I showed up, and in the time between when they hired me and when I showed up for work, they had hired an experienced education reporter. And um, they said, you know, we need someone to cover healthcare. How do you feel about being a health reporter? 
I said, okay. And uh, about a year and a half later, I, I sort of decided that while I loved writing about health care and, and health policy, that I, I wanted to get involved um, more than a journalist could or should. And so I decided to go to medical school. And that was a long time ago. And, you know, as, as far as um, Fragile Beginnings, your your book is concerned, um, once you hear you you profile the sort of really what I look at is sort of the bleeding edge as specific, as, specific as, as it pertains to uh, maternal fetal medicine, um, really introducing a reader in this book to uh, an area of medicine that, you know, we've been perfecting uh, over time, quite sort of godlike powers in many ways, but still even in 2022, nowadays we're still learning a lot. Um, you know, you profile uh, not just uh, sort of, you take the reader into the NICU, but you also talk about your own uh, personal story with your daughter, Larissa. Um, take us just a little bit into sort of, you know, the, the whole situation in, in what got you started into writing this book, and a little bit about some of the things that uh, you learned in the process of uh, this really delicate balance where, you know, yes, we're working on the, the sort of the cutting edge of medicine with these technologies, but we still have a lot to learn. Uh, and, and sort of that balance that you saw uh, in the NICU as you did your uh, work in producing this book. So, so uh, Fragile Beginnings tells the story of um, a, as you say, uh, cutting edge uh, neuroscientist it also tells the story of my um, my wife's experience and my experience with our daughter Larissa, uh, who was born about 14 weeks early. Um, Larissa is now a sophomore in college, um, so it was a while ago. Uh, and um, also advances in in my own field of, of obstetrics and gynecology. And I think that that um, you know I, I love telling stories about medicine and, and about um, healthcare and, and talking about the, I think almost innately human desire to advance what we know, what we can do, the, what, we can, what we can bring to um, members of our family and members of our community and the sort of tension between that and what, what's possible. Um, and that was a central theme of, of, of that book and has been sort of a central theme of much of what I've written about over the years and also, you know, what I've worked on. Um, I think one of the really exciting things about, about being a clinician, but also being in the life sciences is that you're, you're working with innovation every day and taking innovation and making it meaningful in people's lives, and and that as a as a um, as a physician, as a writer, and also as a um, member of a corporate team is really exciting. It's really gratifying work. And then something else, you on your blog, um, sorry, the beginning of the. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic, you wrote a series of articles, um, one entitled Prenatal Care at the Time of Coronavirus, 
another, the state of obstetrics in the time of, of COVID-19, and you know, obviously both focusing on, on the fetus and, and the child. And then um, a third article, Doctors Won't Solve America's Maternal Mortality Epidemic, where now you focus on the mother. Uh, you actually um, uh, highlight uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Rebecca G's uh, paper on, on racial inequalities and preventable pregnancy-related deaths. We had her on the show recently. Um, and in these three articles, you know, you basically highlight sort of the, uh, the potential uh, for sort of this remote clinical supervision, not just sort of a normal situation, but obviously in this uh, pandemic situation that we've had the last couple of years. Talk a little bit about what you learned a little, some of what you highlighted there, both in terms of the fetal health as well as the maternal health, which is you know, a major part of that that balance, and some of what you uh, you found over the years in terms of how some of these new clinical digital tools can help both mom and fetus remain healthy uh, during pregnancy. Oh, it's such a big topic. I, I but I, I mean, I, I think um, you know, we. We as a we as a society and 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 as clinicians and as um, uh, technology developers over the last you know, two years during the pandemic have um, you know, struggled so much. Um, you know, not more than patients, of course, but but have you know, I think tried to figure out how we do our job and how we how we serve people and how we. Um, address gaps in care that are caused specifically by the coronavirus pandemic, um, but also that are, that are just a result of un underlying long-standing inequalities in society. And, and I think technology can help us at times to bridge those gaps. I think sometimes it can't. Um, the ability to communicate remotely, I mean, I think that we've become comfortable with remote communication in a way that, that we just weren't prior to the pandemic. And I think that's really powerful. And I think we've made um, remote communication available to whole segments of the population that, that, um, that in a way that didn't exist before. So I, I mean, I think, I think we've learned a lot and we've, we've, we've made a lot of advances and, and we've got a lot of work to do. So I'm, I'm here, uh, communicating with you in real time on a laptop that was purchased uh, a mile down the road at Best Buy. And I'm sitting in a room here, which you can't see, but this TV from Best Buy and my kids' video games over there from Best Buy. Um, so although as the, as the consumer uh, electronics giant, uh, Introduce us a little bit to Best Buy Health, uh, because uh, I was, uh, until I sort of read about you, I was sort of unaware that you are uh, not just as an organization involved in those awesome consumer electronics, but are actively involved in FDA uh, cleared, artificial intelligence, remote monitoring, uh, all sorts of other really cool topics that we've gotten into on the show. Never thought I saw the name Best Buy next to some of these tools, but take us a little bit into the history uh, of what Best Buy Health is all about, uh, why Best Buy got into the healthcare business. Obviously, it's an important area, but talk a little bit of that if you would. Sure. So, uh... Best Buy, um, there are a few things to understand about Best Buy when you sort of think about its approach to healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, uh, it, it's one of the best known retailers of um, products that people use for healthcare in the country. 
And so whether it's the Apple Watch or whether it's a blood pressure cuff, um, these are very frequently acquired at Best Buy uh, by consumers around the United States and serviced through the Geek Squad. Um, so Best Buy comes to healthcare technology with an incredible footprint in mm -hmm. the American retail landscape, as well as you know, maybe the, the best customer service organization that exists in terms of the Geek Squad in person, in your home, and online. Mm -hmm. um, it's also, I think, important to understand that Best Buy has a physical store within 15 miles of 75% of the American population. Okay. So access to this distribution system is unprecedented um, in the United States. And so I think it's not a stretch for the organization to see an opportunity to use that infrastructure to make um, healthcare technology that, that serves patients mm -hmm. across the acuity yeah. spectrum um, available and to service that, that population um, using this incredible service infrastructure. So I think that when Best Buy thought about the opportunity to help its customers and um, who, are, who are patients mm -hmm. in healthcare, you know, they, their approach was a little bit different than some of the other very large uh, organizations in the space. Um, CVS, for example, has opened minute clinics. Yep. Um, so you can go into a CVS and you can receive health services. Uh, and a lot of other organizations from, from uh, Walgreens to Amazon um, to Target have taken that approach of putting health services in their stores. Mm -hmm. And Best Buy was very clear that that was not going to be the strategy, that you will not be going into a Best Buy to uh, receive health services. And so, um, but in, instead, they saw an opportunity to use that infrastructure to deliver the technology that would enable people to receive health services from their healthcare provider. So Current Health, which is the, the company that I uh, joined um, uh, uh, almost two years ago, uh, has a suite of products and, and services that allows healthcare providers to provide relatively high acuity care okay. um, in the home. Patients uh, can be hospitalized in a hospital at home program in their home, uh, and we help to make that possible. Uh, they, patients with chronic disease, like, like heart failure, like mm -hmm. uh, COP, chronic obstructive pulmonary uh, disease, can be taken care of in their home using our technology and, and services. And so um, combine that with the other Best Buy Health products, and you have this incredible um, suite of products and services that allow healthcare providers to care for their patients in a home environment, leveraging a um, distribution and service infrastructure that's practically unparalleled in the United States. And, and, and continue on that on that theme of sort of hospital at home, because I know it's one of the um, obviously things that happened uh, in the last couple of years um, has been sort of the impact on uh, clinical trials. Uh, of this pandemic. And I know it's sort of one of the areas that I think you might have been targeting with current health is, is this ability, not just hospital home, but sort of clinical trials at home. Um, talk a little bit, if you could, about sort of what you're doing there and how some of these tools can be leveraged by the pharma industry to, um, you know, 
keep keep these clinical these important clinical trials going uh, in, in the home setting. Sure, the the pandemic presented both a uh, urgent um, requirement and also an opportunity. I think for what what we we call decentralized clinical trials, so trials that occur outside of a clinical center. You know, clinical trials historically have involved patients coming into clinics or hospitals, and and that was required to be part of the trial. Um, the necessity in the pandemic was the need to test uh, the vaccines, COVID vaccines. Yep. Um, and so uh, current health was privileged to serve um, the AstraZeneca vaccine trial uh, where patients who developed um, signs of either coronavirus disease or another disease were monitored using our technology in their homes in order to make sure that they were safe uh, during the course of their illness. Um, and so we, we were part of a, a global uh, vaccine trial um, to assure that the trial was conducted safely for those patients and, and, um, and, and really helped to make it possible. And um, that was, uh, a terrific opportunity for current health, but more importantly, it was incredibly gratifying to be part of this global effort to produce vaccine to um, uh, to protect the world's uh, citizens. The opportunity that I think we learned from that and, and that, that pharmaceutical companies learned from that is the trials can be successfully conducted in a uh, home-based decentralized fashion. And so um, since then, we've gotten involved in a number of um, additional clinical trials, mostly in oncology, where patients who are at risk for adverse events from uh, or complications from a therapy can be monitored at home mm -hmm. and then brought back in if they get sick, as opposed to having to remain hospitalized for days or weeks um, which is just a really awful experience for patients and also very expensive. So the, the, that's the opportunity that, that I think came out of the pandemic. And I think it's a, 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 a terrific way of advancing the way trials are conducted in a range of diseases. Um, and you, a couple of months ago, um, you gave a talk, uh, it was at Brown University at the Center for Digital Health, and, and the, the topic of your talk here was the challenges in validating the clinical impact of digital health technology. And, and digital health, once again, is um, is one of these themes that we're seeing pop up everywhere. It seems like every every big pharma company uh, out there is is actively investing in, in not just digital health, but also sort of the, the, the sub-segment of sort of digital therapeutics. Say a few words about what you talked about at this particular session, if you would. Sure. The, so digital health is a really big term. It's a, it's yeah. a really big idea. And uh, I, think it, I, I think it's brought um, incredible tools to medicine. Um, digital therapeutics, I, I, when I think of a digital therapeutic, I think of a, a, uh, some kind of a digital tool, whether it's a technology or a device or a mobile application mm -hmm. that has a therapeutic impact, that the, the use of this thing has a therapeutic impact. And probably the best um, sort of 
the best example of the way that digital therapeutics have been delivered, particularly in the context of an FDA-approved um, product, is uh, the digitized version of cognitive behavioral therapy (CBT). Yep. And um, I think that I think that's really I think that's that's a really efficient, really powerful way of delivering a uh, hard to access therapy um, for patients where some the that therapy alone or that therapy in combination with some medication will will work really well for their disease. Um, so I think that's really exciting. I, I think that there are limitations, however, and I think that um, what we've learned about some digital therapeutics is that they essentially sort of benefit from engagement. So the patient who engages with the digital therapeutic is going to do better yep. clinically than some control group of patients that doesn't access that digital therapeutic. And I think that the question you have to ask is, is that a result of a successful therapeutic or is it a result of someone engaging in their healthcare? And had they simply engaged in their healthcare with or without the tool, maybe they would have done just as well. I sort of think of, I mean, I, I, that's selection bias in, sure. a, in the context of a, of a clinical trial. Yep. And I think a lot of digital therapeutics have benefited from selection bias. Um, and I just think that we need to be really careful mm -hmm. to make sure that what we're measuring is the impact of the, the digital therapeutic and not the impact of selection bias. Absolutely. It's a little science wonky. And I apologize for that. No, 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 no. The, I'm glad you brought up selection bias because it, it's, you know, it, it's a term that, that we should all be aware of, whether we're talking digital therapeutics work or traditional uh, uh, therapeutic development. So no, it's, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, one of the... Um, when I when I was sort of researching through sort of the the suite of um, of what Best Buy is offering uh, sort of in the health front nowadays, one of the topics that came up, uh, another very popular one that we've delved into on the show, was this principle of aging in place, um, and. You know, sort of under this um, part of the portfolio is everything from. Um, sort of simpler interventions. And, you know, we, we had the folks on from AARP a couple of weeks ago just talking about things like hearing aids and sort of the benefit in, in, in sort of the progression of dementia uh, in, in those patients. And then, you know, also within the aging in place suite at Best Buy, it seems like, you know, a lot of these digital tools. Talk a little bit about um, how your organization or the current health or Best Buy in general uh, looks at this, the, the theme of aging, because, Aging, age tech, aging in place has once again really uh, become such a hot topic in, in recent years. So you can talk a little bit about that space, if you will. Yeah, it's a, I think it's an amazing opportunity um, for, um, for Best Buy Health, for current health, and, and for the patients and consumers that, that we serve. I, I sort of neglected to talk about the, the, the biggest piece of Best Buy Health is this active aging okay. uh, organization. And so um, this is the combination of some really cool uh, devices mm -hmm. that many of which are, are, are sort of simplified cell phones that um, include a fall detection algorithm 
as well as most importantly, a one button way, press the button and you're, you're connected to um, one of the Best Buy Health Caring Centers, which are uh, these organizations with incredibly well-trained um, non-clinical people who are there to connect to emergency services in the event that, that someone has fallen to um, uh, help people who are lost find their way home, to, to connect them um, with their loved ones, uh, to answer questions, to be supportive, to um, uh, help them find the nearest um, grocery store, pharmacy, uh, you name it. The, the, the sort of, it, it's a, it's a um, one button connection to a lifeline of services. And um, as I think about the combination of um, those services and those devices with the higher acuity you know, healthcare uh, devices and services that current health offers, you sort of begin to, to put together this, um, this set of, uh, of really sort of ways of reaching out to elderly patients and, and non-elderly sick patients and providing them with wraparound technology and, and most importantly, human interaction that will make their lives safer um, and, and, and better mm-hmm. at home, as opposed to the way we used to do it, I think, which is to sort of um, tend toward uh, institutionalizing individuals when they were no longer able to do everything for themselves uh, on their own. So I, I think this is a, uh, I think it's an exciting combination of products and services and a, and a way of thinking about um, a population that wants to remain as independent as they can mm-hmm. for as long as they can with dignity. Absolutely. That's a, it's exciting to see that all this is happening at, at Best Buy. <laughs> so uh, no, this, this, is, this is really uh, a fascinating portfolio. Um, and while I have you, yeah, you know, thinking back um, to, once again, to your, your book, Fragile Beginnings, uh, you know, one of the things that you, you touched on in the book um, uh, was the, you know, this concept or the, the science or the evolving science of, of what's known as neuroplasticity and sort of our increasing understanding of how the brain uh, heals from trauma and, and it modifies itself. And, and it's really sort of that, it's really a, a, an untouched sort of frontier in, in sort of the, the neurosciences. I, I was just interested as you, obviously you're, you're thinking about a lot of things nowadays uh, per current health and best buy and so forth. But um, as it pertains to the science of neuroplasticity, I'm sure you keep up with the literature. Are there interesting um, applications of some of these new digital tools or other digital therapeutics that you see on the horizon that ultimately coming back, whether it's there for the beginning of life or throughout life of all sorts of things that can damage the CNS, uh, ways that digital therapeutics, digital health can impact uh, beneficial aspects of neuroplasticity? I, I'm not sure, to be honest with you, the impact of digital tools on neuroplasticity specifically. Okay. I, I think that there are, um, I think that there is an evolving literature on the impact of digital tools uh, on the way that people concentrate and on the way that people learn and on the way that people interact with 
the the, the other people around them. Um, and a lot of that is not for the best. I mean, a lot, a, a lot of the, the way in which digital tools um, sort of hijack our uh, focus and our attention, um, I, I think have, have not necessarily been for the better, particularly for children and for um, young adults. Uh, I think that's clearly the case. And I think that as, I think that w- one, one of the exciting things that I find about the work that I'm involved in is that the, the focus remains on the human to human interaction okay. facilitated by technology. Um, and I, I do believe that if we keep our attention focused on that human to human interaction, mm-hmm. that we're going to get the most out of, tools of all sorts, mm-hmm. um, digital health tools, digital therapeutics, technology in general. Uh, I, I think that, that monitoring is great and monitoring moves data uh, around in ways that, that are, that's new and, and, and efficient mm-hmm. um, enables people to be safe in places where they couldn't be safe before. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, they're safe because there's a human at the other end who's uh, keeping an eye on them and communicating with them and interacting with them. Got it. Got it. Um, Adam, what's, um, what's hot for 2022? Uh, obviously, we're coming out of the pandemic now. Um, we'll be able to get on the road and do more things. Um, any... Uh, conferences you're going to be presenting at, uh, new initiatives that you can talk about while we have you today. Uh, anything else you want to mention with regard to current health and, and uh, its fascinating programs, please uh, take the floor. Absolutely. I, I, I think the most exciting and, and, and um, novel thing you said is conferences you are presenting at. Yeah. Because for the last couple of years, we did, we did it virtually and Virtual conferences are terrible. Yeah. So uh, I'm really excited. Uh, next week, I'll be at a conference called Vive, which is a, a digital health conference sure. in person. Nice. Um, the week after that, at, at the um, HIMSS, which is the big health IT conference in oh, yeah. person. Yep. You know, these are conferences we didn't go to last year. <laughs> um, so I'm thrilled to, even with a mask and, and um uh, fully vaccinated, interact in person with people. That's that's really exciting to me. What's new? What's coming along? I I, I think that there are. Um, I, I think that on a policy level, uh, we are going to be consolidating what we learned in the pandemic. Okay. So I'll just give you an example. Please, um, CMS uh, in the pandemic put out this um, temporary waiver program where. Uh, it's called the, the, the hospital at home waiver where hospitals could relatively quickly get permission to provide hospital uh, acuity level care in the home and get paid by the government the, mm-hmm. the same amount per day for care provided in the home as they would get paid if the patient was in the four walls of the facility. And so naturally, this was an incredible accelerant to innovation in home-based care. 
And um, there are a number of programs, including, for example, our, our current health partner, um, University of Massachusetts Medical Center in Worcester and Vanderbilt and uh, Nashville and others who develop these incredibly successful, cost-effective, um, clinically sound, home-based, high-acuity uh, care programs that let patients who would otherwise be alone in a hospital bed be home with their loved ones. Um, really powerful stuff, but it was a temporary program. And so I think that, that, that um, what comes in 2022 is the consolidation uh, of these programs into permanent um, initiatives that allow us to take what we learned in the pandemic and make mm-hmm. them part of the American healthcare landscape going forward. Um, and I think that you'll see that uh, across a lot of uh, different domains, whether it's decentralized clinical trials, um, whether it's remote patient monitoring, whether it's successful digital therapeutics. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of, of um, uh, sort of uh, making permanent what was a successful experiment mm-hmm. during the pandemic. It's, it's, it's extremely exciting. Um, I, I'm really going to be rooting you and the team on. Uh, it's just fascinating hearing that this is once again all going on. Uh, and the, uh, the convergence, the term we like to use, uh, of organizations like the Best Buy with cutting edge medicine, uh, that you're bringing to the table. It's, uh, be a fascinating future. So I, as I'm really rooting you on with this, Adam, um, for, uh, for everybody that's going to be listening to uh, this particular episode uh, across the podcast networks or watching uh, on our YouTube channel, you've been listening to Dr. Adam Wolfberg, Chief Medical Officer, Current Health, a Best Buy Health Company. Uh, check out his, uh, his blog at uh, adamwolfberg.com. Uh, pick up his book, Fragile Beginnings, Discoveries and Triumphs in the Newborn ICU. And of course, everyone check out uh, Best Buy and see all the really cool things uh, that they're doing on the healthcare front. But, um, Adam, I, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule uh, to talk to us. Uh, obviously, thank you for everything you're doing there uh, across the healthcare continuum. And as we like to say on this show, uh, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through everything you're doing. A really fascinating story. Ira, thanks so much uh, for some really probing, interesting questions. Uh, appreciated so many of your other episodes and just uh, delighted to um, be part of it. Thank you. It was great having you.